Now, as a result of having these four instructor play breaks and having physical education, the physical educators are telling me, oh my gosh, I'm not having to reteach the skills every year because now through unstructured play, they're learning how to navigate on uneven paths, being agile, coordinated, uh, learn how to fall. We can't teach them how to fall. They have to learn that through experiences of play. Learning how to learn, they learn that through play. Learning how to watch others and build their own confidence to try things is through play. Welcome to the Movable Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. Here's your host, my daddy, Brian Lane. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Debbie Ray. She is currently a professor of kinesiology at Texas Christian University and the Associate Dean of Health Sciences and Research in the Harris College of Nursing and Health Sciences at TCU. She is the founder of the LINK Project, which is a physical activity and character development program being used by over 10 schools in the U.S. She is also the author of the book Wrong Turns, Right Moves in Education, in which she compares the education systems of the U.S. and Finland based on her experience and research there. Debbie and I talk about how she got started in her career and how things have changed in the past 30 and 40 years. She shares some of the best practices she witnessed in Finland and offers suggestions on steps we can take to increase physical activity in school and improve behavior. I learned a ton from this conversation, and I know that you will too. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. We went on spring break a week ago, Mm -hmm. and then in the middle of spring break, they said, we're going to extend spring break another week so that we had time to actually start putting things online. For courses. And then this next Monday, we will begin online teaching for two more weeks. So right now, the announcement is April 3rd is the, the amount of time that we will be online uh, with okay. the caveat that that could change, mm-hmm. right? So we're a very fluid, I think everybody's very fluid right now on what's going to happen. Yeah, but no that's one. our date. Yeah, I know it's it's tough to give anybody dates because it doesn't seem like <laughs> anyone really knows when no. this will change or anything like that. There are a lot of rumors out there that, uh, and, and of course that you know we know rumors are quite true, but um, mm-hmm. that this could extend on into the end of the school year. So you never know. I mean, it's uh, we're going to play it one day at a time, one week at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to do the same thing here at. at because I'm a elementary PE teacher, and yes. uh, our schools are closed. The last I heard, we're going to be closed through our spring break, which will be April 10th. But again, oh. leading up to that, I'm sure it might go longer than that. I, I know no one really knows right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're up in the New York area? Yes. So a yeah. lot of people, obviously, when they think of New York, they think of New York City. But we're Western New York if you head mm-hmm. towards Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in, in that area. So we're at least distanced a little bit from where the majority of the cases are right now in the city, but, right. but yeah, it's still hitting us. Crazy times. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was talking to somebody this morning in Walmart, <laughs> went in to get some groceries <laughs> early on when maybe the, 
the racks were back on, you know, full stash. And of course they weren't, but I was there and I was talking to the woman who was putting some things on the shelves. And I said, you know, I'm not sure we've seen anything like this since the depression. And then I had to say, and I didn't see that either. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm sure it was like that, mm-hmm. but we don't know that experience unless no. we are a lot older. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. this is our version of the great depression mm-hmm. so far. It seems it really, is. yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so you talked, you mentioned briefly a little bit about what you do, but can you expand on that more? What What's your sure. career been like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just give you a, a snapshot of it. Um, I will preface this with, I've had the most fun career that anybody could ever have. That's awesome. And it is, it really is. If you're going to have a, uh, if you're going to have 40 years of something, you better really enjoy what you're doing. Right. I agree. So, so here's my, here's my life in a, in a nutshell. Um, I was an athlete growing up. I played tennis. I, uh, did a lot of outdoor things, although there were not a lot of athletic experiences open for my generation of female athletes. So, yep. So at that time there were very few things that were opportunities for us, but tennis, swimming, track and field, some of those things were, I was in Dallas ISD. So I, um, definitely had probably more experiences than some school districts did. But my point to that is I, I love to play and I was outside doing something all the time. Then I went off to school and I decided that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And so that's what I've done. Uh, not my whole career, but that's where I started. In 11 years, I taught English, physical education, and coached in mainly high school settings. And I was okay. in three different places along that, that, that time. Yeah, and then English from, and physical education, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, so cool. I was in the gym and in the classroom, and I chose to do it that way. I, mm-hmm. I wanted both experiences. I love both experiences. And um, I would request it everywhere I went. Put me in the classroom for half a day. Put me in the gym half a day. And let me work on both uh, parameters. And so the reason that's important is because now, when I speed forward in a minute and tell you where I am, I have experiences where I can talk to people from very different languages mm-hmm. in an educational setting, and people can understand me in all walks of the educational path. And that makes a difference with where I am now from where I would have been if I was in a school setting trying to make a change like I'm going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So it's really helped me be able to open doors that for some people, it's not available because they can't talk the different languages. Mm-hmm. So 11 years there. And then I I decided I don't understand kids' heads anymore. Now, anybody today could say the same thing that I said 32 years ago. But what I decided is I needed to go back and get a sports psychology class because my my kids just weren't as motivated intrinsically. Now, if you think across 30 years of what we were like then and where we are now, the motivational level going from intrinsic to extrinsic has shifted exponentially. But at that time, oh yeah, I was already seeing the shift. So you can see how long this has been progressing along this path. But I went back to school 
to do one class. And I loved it so much that I decided I wanted to stay there and do my master's. So I did. I talked to my um, school where I was hired in Houston. And I said, hey, can I take a sabbatical? I know I probably won't come back to the same position I was in when I was there. But will you hold a spot for me so that when I come back, you'll find a place for me? And they said, sure. Well, I never returned. <laughs> I stayed. I did my master's. I did my doctorate at University of Houston. I graduated in four years from those two degrees. And I said, you know, I'm ready to start training teachers in physical education. So I moved up to Iowa State for three years and got my experiences there. Uh, started working with curriculum and writing curriculum for physical education. Uh, moved from there back to TCU, where I've been now for the last 20-something years. And all in all, that has gone across 40 years of education for me, being in the schools, working with schools, educating kids, teachers, administrators, uh, working with curriculum across the Segway. It's just, mm -hmm. it's gone across everything. And so now today, uh, one of the things I know we're going to talk about is my experiences with Link, Let's Inspire Innovation in Kids. And that has come from trying to understand better what's going on in schools today and why we're not getting better, mm -hmm. why we continue to be in the middle of the pack. And it took me to my travels to Finland and back and the changes that I've made, but I know we'll go into more of that later. Um, but that's, that's my history, where I've been, what I'm doing. The latest part, though, at TCU, I um, was asked 13 years ago to consider being an associate dean for research in health sciences. And I really didn't want to do it. I had so much that I was focused on with working with uh, my teacher prep program and mm -hmm. uh, trying to educate out in schools with curriculum differences with physical education. And it really was like, ah, I don't want to do this. But something kept working on me. And, you know, as you've read in my book, and I, I'll probably talk about more later, I really learned something from my chapters in life. And one of the chapters that I have really learned from is when an opportunity comes along, you jump on it. You don't mm -hmm. wait. You don't, you jump on it. And that was mm -hmm. one of those opportunities that I said, you know, it must be the time for me to do this. Yeah. And so I did. And so now 13 years later, I'm still uh, juggling between my associate dean role, my faculty full professor role, working out in the schools and doing what I do. So I just thank my lucky stars every day <laughs> that I have the energy that I have and I have the passion that I have. Yeah, I think it makes it a lot easier to wear that many hats and be mm -hmm. that busy, like you said, if you enjoy what you're doing. Because if you're Absolutely. not enjoying it, it's going to be a grind. <laughs> it will. But, you know, I, I love what I do. I just tell people I do two things in life, and I've stuck with these two things my whole career. I mess with people's heads and I play a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, hearing you talk there, I guess I was under the impression that um, Finland came first and then the Link Project followed, but is it the opposite it way? Oh, nope, it did. Okay. Nope. It did. Right. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I knew we'd talk more about that, but yes, Finland came first as a result of my uh, inquisitive brain wanting to figure out more. And, and I can talk more about those thoughts if, if you want to transition there, but just let me know how you want to do that. 
Yeah, I would love to if if you want to okay. move on to the Finland sure. part because I I mean I've I've been fascinated by <laughs> Finland for years now and I've applied yeah. for Fulbright scholarships there. Uh, um, but yeah, I would I would love to go there. What what are some of the big differences just in their culture that you noticed yeah. when you were there? So let me back up just a little bit to okay. give you kind of a a ramp to get into Finland, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I'll go into the Finland piece. Sure. Uh, so in 2011 think about my career was working with physical education, physical education teachers. I was doing a lot of in-service trainings. I was out in schools a lot, just Mm -hmm. helping them understand how to better equip kids to want to be in a physical education setting because we had gotten so far away from physical education first. And especially in Texas, it was athletics could replace PE. So Uh, we had a lot of kids that were not in a physical education class. They were doing their sport. And then the rest, the leftovers, were in physical education. That's kind of where the attitude was. Yeah, lack of motivation. Exactly. And it was like, teachers, come on. We can't be there. We've got to keep our expectations high. We've got to introduce activities to these kids that they would be interested in. And it's probably not going to be sport. Mm-hmm. We need to think of other ways that we can move this around. Okay, so that's where I was. And every time I would send a message to them early on, before 2011, it would be this. Okay, you're letting your expectations down. You need to raise those up. And we need to make this a great quality experience for kids. But what I started realizing is that that message couldn't resonate anymore because our children, our kids, we're not able to receive the message. Mm-hmm. There was a lack of, of motivation on the kids' part to even be in the, the realm of where these teachers are. Hmm. And so I could see how the shift was really taking place, and teachers were like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. They don't really have self-esteem anymore. They don't respect themselves or anybody else. And we come in there, and it's like, eh. I don't care if I fail. So Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? So in 2011, speeds me to there, I get an article from a neighbor across the street who says, this sounds like something that would really be interesting to you. And it was a Smithsonian article that said from F to A plus how how Finland had changed their whole academic standing Hmm. in the past uh, 30, 40 years. Yeah. So I typically put those magazine articles down and I go, I'll come back to that later. I've got too many plates spinning. I'll be back. But on this one, I don't know. You know, it's like my whole life has been this way. Huh. What's in this article? So mm-hmm. I flipped it open and within oh, a good 10, 15 minutes, I was through the article and I went, you know, I understand now there's something going on in other countries that we're not doing. And what hit me hugely was how did I not recognize that we had taken recess out of the public schools? How did, how did I not see that? I'm in the classrooms. I'm in the schools. How did I miss this? Yeah. And so I, you know, with a university setting, you have the opportunity to do sabbaticals or leave of absences to hone your research skills more to do some studies, research, uh, writing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, based on this article, I'm going to submit, and it was going to be in October, for a sabbatical the next fall. Mm 
And so that's what I did. I, I submitted for that sabbatical. I went six weeks to Finland. I lived there in the in an apartment that I rented and worked with three professors at the University of Helsinki who I contacted cold call and said, wow. I want to come. I want to live the experience. I want to understand every facet of what goes on in the schools here and see if I can go back. Now, get this. See if I can go back and change some things that physical educators are doing in the schools. Mm -hmm. And they said, sure. What do you want to <laughs> do? That's awesome. I know. Just now, cold was called, being open arms. That. Yep. Yeah. Now, this was 2011. Okay. So much has changed since 2011. So many people have wanted to go over there. So I was on the front end mm -hmm. and I had carte blanche to being able to do what I wanted to do. Since then, they have really shut down and tightened up how they do things because so many people have uh -huh. requested to go. Okay. And so now they don't allow people to come in like they did then. And even then, I, I really have been probably one of the few that has had this kind of experience there. Mm -hmm. And it's because of what I was going to do with it when I came back. Okay. And, and so a lot changed for me as a result of my goals on the front end. But what I did is I set up, I said, I've got six weeks. This is what I want to do week one, week two, week three, week four, week five. And I've put that in the book that I've written mm -hmm. on how I scheduled that out. And I wrote every Monday through Friday while I was there, I wrote a blog every night. And before I left, I told many, many people that I was going to be doing this. And so schools were following me, um, academic leadership in mm -hmm. universities were connecting with me to follow it. They were teaching in their classrooms with what I would learn. Yeah, there were great. a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things happening at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I came back, but I came back with a different idea than what I went to do. So remember <laughs> I told you that on the front end, I was going to change some physical education concepts. Mm -hmm. When I came back, I came back to change schools. Yeah, which is and a bold so, <laughs> approach, but I, I'm 100% with you on that one. Oh, my gosh. So I came back and I said, you know, there are four things that I saw in Finland and wrote about that I felt were key game changers for any school system anywhere in the world. It wouldn't matter where you were. It wouldn't matter your culture. Mm -hmm. these four things could be the game changers to really changing academics in schools and creating an intrinsic motivation in kids and shifting away from the external motivation of reinforcements and, you know, teachers being in charge and making all decisions and so forth. Now, Two I'm, of those. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What? Well, I'm pretty sure one of those four things is what led me to find out about your program and the book, just because me dealing with elementary schools, I saw mm -hmm. it a little bit differently than what you described. I saw, I heard about all the issues with motivation and participation in high school, but I wasn't seeing that in PE in elementary school. But what mm -hmm. I was seeing was a lot of other things, which I'm sure you'll get mm -hmm. to in a second. Yep. So there were four. I'm going to go ahead and share all four because I think mm -hmm. it's important that we that we know what those four are. 
And then from that, I'm going to tell you the two that we that I've decided to go with and that schools decided to um, at least try on the front end. So the four unstructured play four times a day. And I can get back to why we made these decisions in a minute, yeah. but let me just get through what they are. So yeah. four 15-minute unstructured play breaks a day throughout the day, and it's based on the finished model that they have 15-minute unstructured play breaks every hour of their school day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Secondly is a – and this is a funny – I'll say that it's an interesting story, and I do want to tell it on here, mm-hmm. but let me just say it right now whether you call it character development, ethics, social emotional learning, or whatever the newest buzzword is, that's the second step of Mm -hmm. what I feel is important in schools. And that is, is that we have a true character development curriculum that is taught daily in the classroom. If we do something that's more philosophically generated and not taught to different clear character pieces every day, we won't see a culture shift in a school. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So that's the second one. And I'm sure that's the one that caught your eye. Mm -hmm. All right. The third one, which is even bolder, (laughs) (laughs) is that we change the structure of the school so that we, we go back to having pre K K, one grades one and two, as half day, <laughs> and then like we that. have, and then we have the rest of the day for teachers to be able to really work together to create the changes that are needed or the different types of learning styles that are needed, teaching styles that are needed to reach the diverse kids that we have in our classrooms daily. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult to do right now. Oh, yeah. It's very hard for people to even get their heads around. But there are solutions for this particular piece. It's just going to take some policy and procedure changes that right now, the first two things that I talked about are really all that we can get our heads around. Because there are lots of policy and procedure changes that have to happen with those two, Mm -hmm. much less what would have to happen with this one. Yeah, I agree. Even if they know it's what's best. Just the, Absolutely. the actual act of implementing it is difficult. Oh, it's going to change. Yeah. Kind of like the cor- coronavirus yeah. is changing a lot right now. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. going to take a lot of shift for that. And mm-hmm. then the fourth one is um, getting our heads around. And, and I'm just going to say it. Getting back to developmental assessments of kids, developmental models, child development models around kids. Instead of academic achievement models around kids. Hmm. It's a bold move again. Mm -hmm. It's one that we desperately need. We are testing right now at developmental levels that are not appropriate for the children that we're testing at that age level. Mm -hmm. And we're wondering why we're not successful. Some children are able to take those on, but others, the majority, are not. And we're asking things of them that make them feel like failures when, in fact, it's just not developmentally appropriate yet. Mm-hmm. And until we get back to shifting this from a, a standardized model of testing 
to a more local or locally generated developmentally appropriate model of assessment, we're going to continue to fail. Yeah, I agree. So those are the four. Yeah, you can see why the it. last two are very, very bold. Mm-hmm. They're not off my radar. I continue to talk about them. But right now we're focused on the first two. Mm-hmm. Now, and like you said, you're focused on the first two just because you feel like those will be not easy, but easier to implement now versus the others, right? Correct. They are, you know, I'm going to put it um, in very simple terms with very complex policies that go with it. Everybody thinks that when you say, well, if you've got a character curriculum that you're identifying and you have, you say we're going to do four unstructured play breaks a day for 15 minutes, how hard can that be? Mm -hmm. We just put it in the schedule and it'll be there. Yeah. (laughs) It's very difficult because what's overarching or the umbrella that arches over this whole thing is, but I have to have time to assess my kids and to make sure that they are on level to be able to progress to the next grade level. Exactly. Especially with, uh, I I mean, I know it might be different in Texas, but in New York, we have a lot of statewide assessments every year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when, when they know they have to prepare their students for those assessments, Mm -hmm. that makes it even trickier for them to try to figure out time away from the classroom. Absolutely. And I think going back to your point about, you know, you still see motivated kids in physical education in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. You do. But here's where the issue is. And I think why the character piece is so important for these kids in elementary school, especially to build mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, platform for where they go in middle and high is even though they're excited to be in class and moving, that's the most exciting time they have of the day. And what's sad is they don't get it every day in a lot mm-hmm. of schools. And then on top of that, they don't have their unstructured playtime, their recess either. Mm-hmm. And they're in that classroom, even if they're doing go noodle or moving around to stations or whatever they're doing, their brains are still not developing like they mm-hmm. should in a healthy way. And so when they're with you, they're excited. The problem is we're still shifting in a place of taking responsibility away from kids. So without this character piece to really shift that responsibility back to kids, not that we ask them to make good decisions about, oh, can I go out and play at night? Or, oh, can I go out and do such and such with nobody around? No, for young kids, that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. But to say, look, if you don't do this, this is the repercussion of that. You need to think before you act because this is what's going to happen as a result. If they don't start building those skills when they're young with us helping them with tools to do that, they lose all sense of self-respect, self-responsibility, being respectful of others and wanting to care for others, that empathy factor. They lose all that. So by the time they leave you and go to middle and high, it's over. It's a game changer. And not to go down a rabbit hole here, but we talk about intrinsically motivated kids. I mean, one thing I notice in elementary school a lot is the way discipline can sometimes be handled is 
they try to extrinsically motivate these students where if you do the right thing, you get a reward or, mm-hmm. or if you don't, then we take your recess time away and things like that. And yeah. kids start wanting things for the wrong reasons. And then yeah. when those rewards aren't there anymore, they don't want to do it anymore. Right. So I, I agree. Trying to build those habits young is huge. Absolutely. And with the link project, you know, we have to help teachers understand that they can't do that. They've got to understand that with the process of the character piece building in their schools and the unstructured play being a self-motivator itself to really create some independence, resiliency, problem solving, critical thinking, creativity skills. With all those things building, as these kids go from one grade level to the next, their biggest worries and fears about kids not being motivated in class really start going away. They mm-hmm. They're not there after they've been in the schools for uh, at least a year, two years, three years. They start building these responsibility pieces themselves. And it's it's a huge game changer for the kids and for the teachers. But mm-hmm. like you said, uh, right now, they they think they need the punishment factor. Hey, if you don't do such and such in class, you're not going outside today to play. Yep. They don't need to do that if no. if they just had more time to play during the day and have this character piece and engaged. Yeah. And, and I notice if the activities are planned right mm-hmm. and planned well, then like you said, that's enough motivation right there. Mm-hmm. And it just kills me to see, especially re- when there isn't much recess to begin with, or maybe not any at all, that mm-hmm. if that's ever used as a pawn where that gets taken away, if they're not following directions, that crushes me because that, as uh, we know, that leads to more, more issues. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and then when you see them in class, I do want to go down a little rabbit hole here because I think okay. this is really important. If we have physical educators on the line right now, mm-hmm. I, I, I really want them, or as this goes out into the podcast, for people to hear. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I know that a lot of physical educators that I've talked to across elementary and middle and high who do not see their kids daily, mm-hmm. they're finding that from year to year, the skills are not getting a lot better. Hmm. They continue to be in the same throwing patterns, kicking patterns, striking patterns that they were when they first started. There's not yeah. a lot of change. And yeah, we, we keep th- the same. Yeah. And we keep thinking it's because they're just not getting a lot of practice time. Mm-hmm. And that's one aspect. But let me tell you what's happened as a result of having the play aspect back and physical education in the schools. Now, as a result of having these four instructor play breaks and having physical education, the physical educators are telling me, oh, my gosh, I'm not having to reteach the skills every year Hmm. because now through unstructured play, they're learning how to navigate on uneven paths, being agile, coordinated, uh, learn how to fall. We can't teach them how to fall. They have to learn that through experiences of play. Mm-hmm. Learning how to learn, they learn that through play. Learning how to watch others and build their own confidence to try things is through play. Mm-hmm. We don't have that opportunity to teach that in physical education. We have to come with the skill set of, hey, kids, we're going to learn something really fun today, but here's where we're going, right? And we don't have the opportunities to let them just go out and navigate several times a day to learn these skills and they're not getting it at home 
Mm-mm. predominantly because they're in sport contexts. Mm-hmm. And sport contexts lead them into specific skill development. That is not teaching them the way of navigating nature. Yeah, but as they learn that, they transition to us as physical educators, and boom, our lives are so much more blessed with being able to see that now they've got the basic pieces so mm-hmm. we can build on that for them to be successful in life with skills. Now, speaking of play, if you hear any thuds or yells or anything, that's my four-year-old playing with All my right. wife. Right now running around. Yeah. So that's awesome. he's, he's loving having us home right now. So it's been great. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Great. I mean, I've something that I'm very passionate about that I wasn't even planning on talking on here is youth sports, especially competitive youth sports and how mm-hmm. kids are specializing earlier now. And I notice in, even in kindergarten, I notice in elementary PE classes, I have to start having unstructured playtime just to teach kids how to play in an unstructured yes. setting um, because they're not doing it that much at home. They're, they're so used to being in a mm-hmm. soccer league or being at gymnastics and having a teacher or a coach telling them where to stand, how to kick, how to run this mm-hmm. way, where to go, so that when they have a bunch of their friends and they have a ball, they don't really know what to do because they don't know how to pick teams. They don't know how to make their own rules up. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I know you just talked, touched on it a little bit, but I don't know if there's anything you want to say about. I can, uh, I can more. talk, I can talk more on this. So I'll, I'll give you a few nuggets. And if you want to go certain directions, you can. Sure. Uh, with link, we don't allow balls on the playground. Oh, now, okay. That may freak you out. And, mm-hmm. and I want to explain why this is the way it is is because in our society today, you've already touched on it. We start kids in sport as early as three years of age, if not earlier with what we call fitness camps. Mm -hmm. These are all structured environments for kids with no unstructured ability to do things their way, self-directed and Mm self-monitored. It's all related to what we are helping them to navigate. When a ball is put in front of a child now in elementary school, that ball represents sport. Mm -hmm. It doesn't represent play. Yeah, that's a good point. It represents sport. So what has happened is if we're in an elementary school setting and we have unstructured play, recess, Mm -hmm. but really literally call it unstructured, self-directed, self-guided, it's theirs to have. As long as it's a safe environment, they take a ball, and now all of a sudden there's competition. There are teams. They're navigating rules and regulations without good social skills, and they end up in, I don't know, if we want to say verbal altercations, mm-hmm. physical altercations, they end up in all kinds of altercations. Yeah, and many times, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it's a 15 minute period, many times they haven't even started play because they're still picking their teams right before they're going in. Mm-hmm. So we've taken balls off the playground because in the environment that I want to set up, it's an unstructured play environment, not a sport or competition environment. It is collaborative or by, by themselves or They don't even have to be moving. They can just be sitting over by themselves, figuring life out. 
what we find is when you give them that leeway to do things the way they want to do it, mm-hmm. they may come out from class very frustrated and may be independently doing something, maybe in the flowers, maybe picking doodle bugs or ants or climbing a tree or wherever they are. But eventually they're moving into different aspects of play. And you give them some different things that are manipulative kinds of activities to play with or not. Doesn't matter either way. Mm-hmm. Or equipment, but very, very limited amount of equipment. You don't need much. They find all kinds of stuff to do, even through fifth grade. Now, I shift this as they get into middle school. But in elementary school, it's no balls on the playground through fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And then once, once they get past that, then we can start uh, – implementing the the balls on the playground again. Actually, I wouldn't even call it a playground. I just say implementing the balls back in outdoor spaces mm-hmm. so that kids can play the way they want to. Because by then they've got the experiences, they've got the character piece built in. They are solid on what they're doing and why they're doing it, who they mm-hmm. are, their empathy factor, everything is good. Um, we've had it in middle schools. And some of our middle schools have decided they're still not putting balls on the playground. Hmm. They really like having that unstructured piece and then having their physical education, uh, sport skill, uh, outdoor education, dance, you know, having those other things built in in physical education versus really unstructured out on the playground. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on the school for middle, but I give them a whole lot more leniency there than Mm -hmm. I do in elementary school. Okay. I think a lot of people just miss the idea of unstructured play because I know, mm-hmm. like we talked about, there's a lot of things out there like Go Noodle and companies who do yes. brain breaks, which are great. There's nothing wrong with them, but I don't believe it's necess- it should necessarily be called a brain break because it's still a teacher-led or it's a led activity where it's not self-directed. It's not unstructured. So I think You're there's so, so right. just giving the kids the freedom to run and play or sit and read or stare at the grass if they want, but Mm -hmm. it's their time. I I will bring up one more thing uh, because you just mentioned it and that is sit and read. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, as you heard, I, I taught English in Mm -hmm. schools. I am a proponent of kids being able to read. I'm a proponent of them being motivated to want to read and want to write and want to be creative and expressive in their own ways. And I think you have a unique perspective because of that, which is great. Yep. But not on the playground. Okay. Okay. So why not on the playground? Because, so I have a reason for everything that I, that I've put into here, but why not on the playground is because we want them to be social. We want them to learn social skills. Mm -hmm. Your, your most unsocial individual children will use the, the book or a teacher as their crutch. You know, yeah, their crutch, their balance, their their security. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that. I, I want them to get out there and be uncomfortable if they're going to be uncomfortable with social mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. until either somebody else, and I don't even like the buddy benches. I think that's a bad idea. When okay. you're in a model like we're doing, yeah. None of these things out there in how y'all operate right now, none of these things would be appropriate right now. It would only be appropriate if you were to shift into the model that I am teaching out in schools. Okay, so let me preface that. But 
if you did this the way we do it, we want to force them to become more social. They have four times a day out there. They need that practice time. As a result of that, we see far fewer kids going inward, not feeling comfortable with others, starting to communicate with each other verbally in different languages, sign languaging, all kinds of things as a result of having this social skill development with play interaction. Okay. But I also want to preface this with, I would not do four unstructured play breaks a day without training of mm -hmm. whoever's going to be involved. And I would not do unstructured play without the character piece being attached. Mm -hmm. it, it, it will fail on you. Now I know you're at TCU. Um, do you incorporate any kind of religious uh, aspects to your character ed at all, or is it strictly more of like the ethics, like you talked about in your book, ethics and character? Uh, you brought up a great a great point here. Can I go ahead and spin off? Sure. Okay. So when I was in Finland, they called they they had two ways that they did character in the schools. Mm -hmm. And I'm using the word character because we understand that terminology here that's more broad spectrum mm -hmm. uh, than if I said ethics. Okay. Because ethics is right and wrong, good and bad. What if I don't believe the same way somebody else does? Mm -hmm. But in, in truth, ethics there is really character here. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in Finland, they had two ways of approaching this. They had religion in the schools or they had an ethics class. And if they had uh, the religion, it was because two or more students had the same religion. Okay. And if they did, they would bring in that rabbi, minister, father, clergy mm -hmm. to come in and teach that class for those two kids or 10 kids or 50 kids or whatever it was. Because in their, in their country, Lutheran is still the majority religion okay. in Finland. But it's dropped to about 83% instead of where it used to be at 97%. Okay. So there are a lot of religions there now. I think I'd be lying if I said how many today. But mm -hmm. at the time that I went, there were like anywhere from 30 to 35 different religions that, wow. that they were trying to help teach. Mm -hmm. So while I was there, they were already talking about, oh, and let me just finish. So ethics was for any child that either was atheist, agnostic, or only religion, the only person of that religion. Oh, uh, okay. They were all in the same class called ethics. Hmm. And they would have a non-religious teaching, like we would teach a character class here. Mm -hmm. It was strictly te teaching respect, honesty, trust, self-confidence, empathy, and so forth. And it was all based on what the students identified as. So it was it their was choice. Well, it was ba in ethics, it was a general, just general teaching of character. Mm -hmm. But on the religion ones, each individual teacher, whether it be a, a clergy of whatever type, mm -hmm. would teach from their book or their stories of okay. religion. So it could be whatever that is um, in the religious context. But the stories would come, I'll just give an example, from the Bible, the stories would come from different stories in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that mm -hmm. taught to character. 
Okay. So it might be the parable of two brothers mm-hmm. and how one came home and got things when he returned and the other had been there all his life and felt like he was being neglected now. And why, you know, he was here all this time. Why are you paying more attention to my brother who was never here? And teaching to that, teaching character skills to that, understanding the stories of the two brothers. And so that kind of stuff would happen in the religion classes. And the ethics class would just be about how to work with others. Why would we treat someone else, even though they didn't believe or feel the same way we did, why would we still treat them with respect and honor where they're coming from and listen to them, truly listen to them. So we would teach character here or ethic or religion. So ethics or religion in Finland. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of research on this before I came back here on what Finland was doing and what in the heck would we do here? Right. Because don't, we, we do separate religion and education. Yep. And it's kind of a touchy subject for many people too, Mm -hmm. especially in schools. Mm -hmm. So in 2012, when I came back, actually it was the start of 2013 when I came back from my sabbatical, I came back using the term ethics. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you went back on some stuff that I did early on, they were ethics uh, lectures that I did. Okay. I was getting feedback from school personnel and from TCU personnel that were truly in my court of saying, we want you to succeed with this, but we think you, we need you to ter- change the term ethics to something different because ethics was rubbing people the wrong way back in 2013. Hmm. A lot has happened over these years, Yeah, but that was rubbing people the wrong way. I said, okay, I'm going to call it character. Okay. Since then, character has now been shifted to social emotional learning. But what I would argue is, is that they're not the same. Hmm. I would argue that they're two different things. So in, and I know we're going off on these different tangents, but I think it's important for people to realize and understand that if you're going to call something what it is, you need to understand what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. And and that you can't just say, oh, I'm doing social emotional learning, but you're really teaching character. Or I'm doing character, but you're calling it social emotional learning because they've got different components to them. So when I started the character development curriculum, I really looked for something that had true developmental appropriateness to it by grade level and was pre-K through 12 and had different components that even though they were taught developmentally different by age, they were the same terms throughout the the uh, course of their time in school, pre-K mm-hmm. through 12. So I came across one particular curriculum that I decided to use. It was the number one curriculum for the What Works Clearinghouse, which is a federal mandated um, area where if you're going to get federally funded grants, you need to be using things that are approved through this particular clearinghouse. Hmm. And this curriculum was one of those. Okay. And so we started using that particular curriculum. But in about 2015, 2016, I know the terminology was used before then, but because of the buzzwords of character and we've got to get better in touch with social emotional pieces of kids and we've got to understand their needs. And I'll even throw another term out there. We're now also looking at trauma 
delivered curriculum. Okay. Okay. So we've got all these terms that are floating around in schools now. Mm-hmm. What, what should we be doing? And what I have stuck to from this, the time I started, and I truly feel that you've got to have this as your base foundation, is the character piece is teaching just general character traits. Trust, respect, honesty, confidence, empathy, and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Basic traits. Making sure that the kids understand what those things mean. Understanding, and you'll understand this when I say it, understanding that they have to think before they act because their actions are going to create consequences that can be very negative for how they feel and think going forward. Mm -hmm. So if we think and really think through what that next step is going to be, that action step before we do it, that behavior, and then as a result, what is our feeling going to be? We have to go in and be able to stop those thinking patterns, not try to stop the behavior, stop the thinking pattern so that then when they move forward, they're in a positive place. That's very difficult if they don't have empathy. And empathy is the name of the game right now. It's not bullying. It's empathy. If you have empathetic skills, bullying goes away. Mm -hmm. But if we teach bullying, empathy doesn't happen. And what I mean by that is we teach, the, we teach them to recognize what bullying is. Mm-hmm. We continue to see bullying. <laughs> but if we teach empathy skills, bullying falls away. Okay. I'm not saying it falls away completely, but somewhat. Okay, now, social-emotional learning has come as a spinoff, huge overview of everything underneath it. But in reality, with social-emotional skills, we're looking at how well do they integrate into their society, their culture, their environment. Mm -hmm. That's not character. That's a whole other piece. And then if they've got trauma, PTSD, things that are happening at home, on the way to school, with other um, entities that are happening that they have no control over, Mm-hmm. Now you've got another piece that's inter, interwoven with everything else. I would say they're all important. They're all necessary. But we've got to be able to weave them in in a way that we're not overwhelming teachers, administrators, schools, and kids. Mm-hmm. So you offer training for the teachers, obviously, even just during that recess time to be able to do they kind of facilitate conversations with kids? Like if through your program, let's say they're on recess and they see the kids bickering or arguing, do you encourage teachers to go over there and try to work with them? Or do you encourage them to kind of have more of a hands-off approach with it? Or Yeah. So the way this works is we do three full days of training in the spring before they would ever launch a, a program like this. Mm-hmm. And those three days of training are built around a um, a, a very step lock approach, meaning that if they have pre-K kids on the same campus as their kindergartners and first graders, then mm-hmm. I would train pre-K through first graders the first year. Okay. And then we would roll out second grade the next year, third grade the next year, fourth grade the next, and fifth grade the next. And I know that goes against everybody wanting to have, right now, change. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you try to make this kind of change across a whole school 
with testing at third grade level and above being as important and as job related as it is, mm-hmm. you can't you can't create that kind of impact and not have failure with a program like this if you tried to roll it across the whole school all in one year. Mm-hmm. But if your kids already know this going into the next grade levels, now it's only the teachers that have to learn it, not the kids. Mm-hmm. So now you have half the amount of work as those kids get into the higher grade levels. Okay. But those three trainings are all about a mindset shift, changing the way they think, mm-hmm. changing the why it's important for those kids to be outdoors, why it's important for them to play, why it's important for them as they shift into an academic change in how their brain development now becomes strengthened as a result of this and their immune system and their health. Mm-hmm. All those things, that's part of the training that I do. And then I have to train them on unstructured play and the character development curriculum. And then the third day is all about execution. How do we execute this? What is it going to look like in your school schedule? How are we going to plug this in with everything that you have required in your district? And how do we get the administrators to understand what's going to happen is going to impact their requirements for you? Mm-hmm. And bringing those conversations on board as well. Because if you try to do this with a school without the administration at the uh, higher administrative level understanding this, mm-hmm. it'll fail. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's bringing all that together. And then to answer your question about on the playground, the character development curriculum is being taught in the classroom 15 minutes every day. They teach from those concepts as they go throughout the day. And when they're in unstructured play, they definitely, when these kids are young, they're really bringing in the stories that they've learned Mm -hmm. and how that's impacting them on the playground. But as time goes on, they turn the responsibility of uh, communicating with their friends or their whoever. I'm not going to call them enemies, but, you know, the ones that they're having struggles with. It's for them to figure out how to communicate once they start learning these different tricks and trades and making sure that they, they do develop those and we back off and allow them to negotiate their social skills and their emotional stability. Mm -hmm. Now I've noticed, or I saw online in Texas, there are several schools that you work with already. How did it, how did it start as far as the rollout of this? Was it, one yeah. school and everyone kind of saw like, wow, that looks really good. It's working really well. And then it was another, or did you have a bunch of schools that jumped on board right away? I've got a great story for this and okay. I don't, I, I, I hope I can do it in a real short period. Cause I know we're on limited time here, but when I first came back and I said, I wanted to do this, TCU said, we love what you want to do and we want to support you. And they said, we're going to give you some money across three different colleges of the university, science and engineering, uh, college of education, and the college that I'm in, Harris College of Nursing and Health Sciences, Mm -hmm. plus the provost at the time. All four of those entities said, we're going to give you some money to help you launch this program. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking a small amount of money. It was a significant amount of money at that time to to get it started, over $100,000. And so I was bold. My brain has never been anything but bold. And people have said, you're not going to get this off the ground. And I said, you know, but I have to try. 
Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm going to go to three school districts and see if I can get them to come on board with what I've done, what I've learned in Finland, and let's see it happen. And every one of them said, we'd really like to try, but we need to see some data. We want to see that it works. And I have to tell you that I, I didn't say this to every school district I ran across, but I did say it to some. And that was, can you show me data right now? It shows that what you're doing is working. Finland is showing after so many years that this works. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the statement that came back was was something like this. Yeah, but they're smaller than we are. They're not even the size of a state, right? They've got their own way of doing this. They are not our culture. We've got so many more diverse issues, so many more unequitable issues. We can't be them. And I said, I'm not trying to be them, but these two principal pieces don't have to be them to be successful in our schools. Hmm. Well, we can't take that chance. Okay. So I went back to the drawing board with our with TCU and I said, it's not going to work, but I've got another solution. They said, what? And I said, well, I've got two private schools that will not have these same mandates on them that our public schools do. And they're willing to try this will you still allow me to use the funding that you gave me to launch in the two private schools so that I can collect some data and show the public schools that it will work? Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, go for it. Oh, I mean, I have to tell you, they have been awesome with supporting yeah, me. It sounds on, like it. Yeah. So I started with private schools, speed forward. I had great, great outcomes after one year. The outcomes were, reduction in off-task behaviors in the classroom. Hmm. Attentional focus, listening effort went up exponentially from a a comparison school. Their academic scores did not suffer. They were still on point, still doing what they needed to do in their assessments. Uh, Their ability to socially and emotionally and character-wise communicate and be on spot with their respect and honesty and empathy was exponentially improved. Wow. Their weight was becoming more healthy weight across the standard. Very few overweight kids. As a result, I went back to the public schools and I said, okay, here are the results. I had two school districts say, let's try this. One school district said, I'll give you three schools. The other school district said, I'll give you one school. Hmm. The the school district that gave me one school is now all 15 schools engaged in link of the district. And that's Eagle Mountain Saginaw. We have two other school districts that are also all schools in, in the state of Texas, as a result of being able to see what happened in one public school. What has happened over the years is people connect to people who say, I know that person and I respect what they've done. Or I respect what you've been able to do with those schools. Yes, I'm willing to try. So we're also in Oklahoma right now. Across both states, we're in 38 schools. And we're building into more schools next year Mm -hmm. across different districts. But in Oklahoma, we're actually working to build another two to four districts in that state. Um, And those are negotiations that we're doing right now but we're really trying to work towards spreading it 
with the superintendent of schools, Joy Hoffmeister, Dr. Hoffmeister. Okay. And um, she's very much engaged in believing in what we're doing and wanting this for all schools in Oklahoma. Hmm. So we're working towards moving in that direction. Kansas has some schools looking at it, Tennessee, Virginia. We've had interest in New York and Pennsylvania and all sorts of places. Mm -hmm. the, the stumbling block has not been going there. The stumbling block has been the financial piece. Okay. Getting teachers trained, rolling it out in a district, even if it's one or two schools. But truly, if you're going to roll this out, it really needs to start becoming a district-wide initiative and not a one-school initiative, or it will never fully develop like it should. Uh, in helping kids across the district because, you know, you've got transition across districts, kids mm -hmm. moving uh, from one school to the next, uh, teachers moving from one place to the next, uh, administrators moving. So it's got to be a, a much more concentrated transitional piece if this is what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just seems, unfortunately, there just seems to be so much red tape and mm -hmm. restrictions that are in place that even in my experience, I hear people say, oh, it sounds like a great idea. We would love to do it. But, and then there's these little hurdles that come in the way that just make it more difficult to implement something like this. I really think though, I really think the, the biggest hurdle, I mean, really is the financial piece. Yeah. If, if people, if people hear this on this podcast right now mm -hmm. that want to give to a good cause, this is the cause, because if you give, we're going to be able to say to school districts, we can do all but $5,000, uh, you know, or so much per school. And we can roll this out in different school districts across the country. That mm -hmm. is not the problem. And it's not the problem that parents are going to have an issue or teachers are going to have an issue or administrators are going to have an issue. Those things we're able to explain. We're able to show we've got the data. It's the financial piece. And so if there are people out there that say, I want to give to a good cause, this is it. This is going to change the culture of education to a place. And get this, we were there in the 60s. Mm -hmm. We were there. Finland learned from us. They brought it back to their nation and they changed it. And now look where they are. Mm -hmm. And we lost our way with going after competition and academics and not looking at the whole child. Mm -hmm. When we get back to the whole child, we'll be where Finland is. But it's going to take something like this to do it. So let's say that we have educators listening to this, and they get to this point, and they think, all right, this is something I really want to do. Mm -hmm. Once they contact you guys, what type of assistance do you offer to help them get this started? Because I'm just thinking about it in my district. I would love it. There's several people I know that would love to, that would love this in our school, but there's a there's a possibility that our administrators might not be 100% bought in. Mm -hmm. So, do you offer any help in that mm -hmm. area? Obviously, yeah. I, I know you do. But if you want to talk about that, yeah. So we'll do Zoom calls. I'll 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 personally get on Zoom calls with anybody that you can connect me with, either a principal, uh, associate superintendent, a curriculum development person, uh, evaluation individual. Superintendent, assistant superintendent, associate superintendent. I, I talk to every one of those levels mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And I, I will do that. 
what I would ask is that you get that connection made. Let me do the talking because okay. the, the, you, you get the information, you understand it, but to be able to put it in perspective in 30 minutes or less mm -hmm. is something that I can do. And then I can answer the questions that they have that you don't have the answers to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, get me on a zoom call and I'll set it up. I'll set up all the, the stuff just say to, you know, I'll just give you an example. Brian, you go to your principal and you say, oh my gosh, you need to go. And, and I would suggest this first, have them go to the link project website, www.linkproject.tcu.edu. And just look around and see what we're about. There's a video on there that just kind of talks about, uh, you know, what link is about and they could do that if they're, if they don't want to be on the phone with me yet or the zoom call and just get them, get their feet wet and mm -hmm. then follow up with them and say, would you mind getting on a zoom call? Can we just get a conversation going? I am not a high pressure person at all. I just want them to understand what's out there and what could be there for them if they want it. Yeah. And then at that point we can do some solution conversations, some problem solving on financial pieces. Uh, that's what I've been doing. Sometimes it may take two to three years to get this done, but I'm patient and I'm there to work at the level that somebody else wants to work, but this can work. It can work across any, we've been looking at it in uh, rural schools, urban schools, suburban schools, private schools, diver very diverse schools, very homogeneous schools, schools mm -hmm. that have all title one, some title one, no title one. Everywhere we go, the results are very similar. It changes children, not a certain type of child, not a certain type of environment, but all children. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I'll, I'll include yeah. that link you mentioned to your website. I'll include that in the show notes and your okay. book, Wrong Turns, Right Moves in Education. Both thank of those you. are great resources for people. Yeah. And a lot of things I've talked about today are in, in the book more. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they can buy the book on the website or they can go and find it at Archway, whatever way they want to do it. But yeah, it's a it's a great starting point for anybody to see what I'm about and what I'm doing. Now, speaking of books, one last question. Um, mm -hmm. I actually growing up, I mean, I'm a, I'm a PE teacher, so I don't want to sound like I'm a stereotypical <laughs> one, but I didn't enjoy reading when I was younger, didn't enjoy mm -hmm. it in school. And I didn't realize why I just. I never remembered everything. And it turns out that I just wasn't that interested in it. Most of the reading assignments I had, I just had no interest in, but probably about five years ago, I started reading nonfiction. I just found some, cause I always liked reading magazine articles and things like that. Uh -huh. um, but I started reading a lot of nonfiction and self-help books. And since then I've read probably hundreds of books and I really enjoy it now. So I guess awesome. my question for you is, which book or books do you feel impacted your life or your career the most? Mm, Any ones yeah, that you would yeah. highly recommend to people? Great, great thing. Um, you know, there was a book and I don't even think it's in, um, I don't think it's in, in the, on the bookshelves anymore. I, I'm not sure, but it was Don't Dance the Dance. Okay. And it was a it was a book about a psychologist. It was writing it about 
how we work with kids today mm-hmm. and that we give so many chances before we finally lose our temper or bring a consequence to the child. And the child understands how many times they can get away with something before the patience is going to run out. And so they keep pushing it to that 5, 10, 15 warnings before they ever get the consequence. (laughs) And this book was all about you don't give them more than one warning. And if they've already learned the warning ahead of time, you don't even give them that anymore. (laughs) They have to learn to be on your terms with your dance, not you on their terms with their dance. They get very savvy with that. So that was a great book for me. I loved it. Uh, yeah, what I, like I can that. do, Brian, is if I can find the the title and where it came from, I'll send it to you. Okay. So that you can share it with the audience if you'd like to. All right, um, great. But that's a great one for me. And then um, probably another one. Some of them have been since I've been doing Link. Yeah. But one of them is Peter Gray's book on um, uh, living. Uh, I think it's uh, Living to Learn or something like that. But it's it's all about the play experiences. And mm-hmm. why it's important to do that. And then the other one is uh, Dr. Richard Louvre and his on um, being out in nature and the nature deficit disorder. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a, great a, that's a whole topic we could have touched on tonight, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, we could do that another time. Absolutely. Yeah. But great books. Um, and I can send you those as well. But those, okay. those are my favorites that have really touched me. All right. Have you had and a chance hey, to read? Hey, oh, no, go ahead. I'll give you one. My very favorites in my whole life are Dr. Seuss. Oh, awesome. All yeah. right. I'm, okay. I'm getting used to reading a lot of those to my son right now. There you he go. He loves them too. Have you had a chance to read um, Pazzi Solberg's Let the Children Play? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's what I, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pazzi Solberg and I are very good friends. And um, he has been such an influence to support what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And we'll do, he's, he's just been phenomenal in that way. And so, yes, that's one of my most favorite books, of course, because Link mm-hmm. is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also my favorite because, yeah, we need to let children play. I mean, this yeah. is so important for child development and brain development. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out. Oh, to, uh, thank you for reaching show. out. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I, I thoroughly enjoyed visiting with you and uh, I wish you all the best. And there's any way I can help you with what you're doing up there and your, your um, environment, even Mm -hmm. in physical education, if nothing else, just let me know and I'd be happy to do so. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Ray. Stay safe out there. Okay. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.